1: Questo suono dal Sud America, fino giù in
0: Senegal, profumo d'Africa, nella nuova Guinea, Guinea. la sentirai in Albania, che assomiglia a casa mia, riparte dal Belgio, arriva in Croazia, Slovacchia, Polonia e Romania.
1: Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of the Forza Napoli Worldwide Series. This is a series all about our fans. We have the best fan base in the world with diverse opinions, so I wanted to give fans a platform where they can speak their minds, and I wanted to give our listeners an opportunity to hear different opinions. So we're back in the United States for today's episode. I've had quite a few Napoli fans from North America request to come on the pod, which is great. Hopefully, we can collectively get the Laurentis to realize that Napoli has a huge following on this side of the globe. And if he truly wants to grow the global brand, then the club really needs to invest in global outreach. The big clubs all have academies in the US. They have very active social media platforms. It's easy to get merchandise. So that's something we definitely need to work on. So we're heading to Connecticut today. Our next guest is the admin for the SSCN America Twitter account, which is... A great accounts, great content coming that we're going to chat about briefly. Uh, but first, Daniel Russo, welcome to Fort Napoli.
0: Hi, Joe. Thank you so much for having me on.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. So you've got a couple of things in the works. You recorded a, a quick audio clip on your SSCN account, um, which I thought was really good. And then just yesterday, you and Joe Cotolino posted a video reacting to the Atalanta match, which we're going to chat about a little bit and we'll expand on on that discussion um, but that was a great video as well. Uh, it's always great to see uh, more content. I mean, you Geo has been doing it longer than I have. Uh,
0: yeah, he's been doing it for a while,
1: busy uh, lately, right? So it's good to see that up and running. You know, it's great to just we need to create as much as much content as we can, especially on this side of the world. Like I said, you know, there's a, there's a big following on this side, so hopefully that mm-hmm. the club can recognize that a little bit. For anyone that hasn't seen that video, just search Napoli Central on YouTube. Um, the name may change, as you guys said in the video, uh, but for now that's where they're being posted, and you can also find the link to that channel in Geo's Twitter bio at Geo underscore cozz 24 So, at the risk of beating a dead horse, I still do want to talk about the Atalanta game. Um, there's there's plenty to chat about there, and and you made some really interesting points in that video that I want to get to as well. You've played at a pretty high level, so I think you uh, you bring a, a different perspective than. Maybe the casual fan that hasn't played that much. But before we do that, I, I want to get to my favorite part of this series, which is just asking our guests how they became an Napoli fan.
0: So uh, that's a tough question. I mean, actually, I started off as an Inter fan, an avid Inter fan as well. Yeah. Uh, I was in love with Ibra and Adriano. Yeah. Um, but as soon as I saw that, it was like it's it, something clicked. When I saw Napoli play against Juve and Serie B that year before Juve came back up to Serie A and Napoli as well, just something clicked in me. And I that was it. From then on, I, I, I only saw Napoli blue. And that's the way I'll be until the day I die.
1: Beautiful. Yeah, I mean, nothing to be ashamed about that. That Inter team was, was phenomenal. I, mm-hmm. I was briefly an Inter fan you know, when, when Napoli was in the the lower divisions working their way up. And uh, that was when I was more of a casual fan too. And it was mostly because my Zia bought me a Bajo. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, so that's, that's how it was for me. So you want to talk a little bit about your, your playing days? Cause I find that fascinating too. Obviously it's not, not something uh, Napoli related necessarily, but uh, you know, you played in Italy, you played in Germany. How did, how did that go?
0: Yeah. So, um, Straight out of high school, I went to play at when I was 18 years old. I went to go play in Germany in the fifth division for uh, two years. And then I went to play in Serie D, which was always, it was always my dream to play in Italy at some mm-hmm. level, some sort of level. So uh, I finally saw an opportunity and I took it and I went to go play for uh, US Folonica Gaborano in uh, Tuscany, about 20 minutes away from Grosseto. I don't know if you remember Grosseto. They used to be in Serie B a while ago and they went bankrupt. Yeah. Yeah. So I played there for a year and uh, now here I am back home,
1: yeah. you know, COVID
0: so, hit and everything. So it's a bit tough. It's a bit of a tough situation with uh, my playing, but I can't complain.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I, the reason I mentioned it is because it, it gives you a unique perspective on, on how you see games having, having played in Europe and being coached by the people that coached you. So uh, we'll keep that in mind, and I'll bring that up uh, as we break down some of the goals, for example. So, like I said, I want to talk mostly about, about the match, and, and then we'll talk about going forward a little bit at the end. Uh, nothing terribly surprising with, with the starting lineups. Uh, one thing that was a little bit surprising was we saw Elmas start over Insigne, which I guess I understand the decision. I mean, we have to rest guys at some point, mm-hmm. insignia has been dealing with uh, muscle injuries that, that seems to be playing through. Elmas, obviously, he's supposed to be a, a backup winger, but it seems like he's had more success through the uh, middle, right? yeah. Playing in the midfield, and actually, I mean, that's something you've been pretty vocal about on Twitter. That even the games he's played well in the midfield haven't exactly been against necessarily the toughest no. opponents, right?
0: Nah, no, with Elmas, I, I don't know. I have like a love-hate relationship with him. <laughs> I can't. I can't put my finger on it, whether he's going to be like a top guy for us in the future, or he's just another one of those guys that just doesn't work out for us, you know? Yeah. Um I even tweeted about this. I don't think he understands the timing that is involved in the Serie A. Like he's, he almost, he seems to never really be in the right place at the right time. And, and a lot of times he has to get out of situations with his feet, which are yeah. exceptional. He has exceptional feet, but Against a team like Atalanta, that doesn't work. It's not enough, Mm -hmm. you know. Against a Parma or a Spezia, like I was saying, it it works. It's okay because you know they might they might not defend as compact as an Atalanta team would, but against these bigger bigger teams, you really see the difference, the disparity in his in his talent in comparison to the other players on the other team.
1: Yeah, and we'll touch on Gattuso throughout the podcast and. For many podcasts, probably until the end of the season or whenever he finally gets let go. But I wonder if Gattuso's the right person to be bringing him along. Um, you know, he's he wasn't the most technical player. Obviously, he was no that uh, the work ethic and the green. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, absolutely.
1: But I mean, I guess we saw we saw Gattuso turn things around for Lozano. Doesn't seem to be working out for for Alma so much. And I think part of that too is that. And, and I talked to, uh, I think it was with Gaetano on our first episode about this, is that he's he hasn't been played in sort of a consistent role. It's always been, you know, off the bench when we need some more attacking play, sometimes on the wings, sometimes in the middle. And I wonder if, if that's hurting him a little bit as well.
0: Yeah. And honestly, it's not even just an Elmas problem with that. That's a, a problem with, you know, Romani is one of those guys that, yeah. you know, I I spoke with it. I, I was I actually recorded a video with Ando with Napolitano. I don't know if you know yeah, him. Yeah. Uh, where I touched upon the fact that Romani didn't get a start until the seventeenth game of the season. He didn't even get a sniff of the field. Yeah. yeah. And then you're putting him up against a listen. Udinese is not an Inter or a Juve, obviously, but they've got a guy there, Kevin Lasagna. That I mean, albeit he's not the best striker in the league, but yeah. he, if you're not an experienced defender, you're going to struggle against him because he puts you under pressure. He's so fast. And of course, what happens? He messes up the back pass. Lasagna runs through. He saw that Romani was struggling and scores. And ultimately, and then Gattuso made it even worse by taking taking him off at halftime. So, you know, honestly, I think his man management really is one of my biggest issues.
1: Yeah. And that's the biggest counter argument to the injury argument right so i mean i am i admit i'm probably one of the more bigger defenders of gattuso not so much because i i think he's great or anything i i'm just very conservative i don't like change so I, know, get it, yeah. I i don't want I to fire that. gattuso till the end of the season I, I i think we've all accepted it'll happen at at the latest at the end of the season if not sooner mm-hmm. i personally don't necessarily have an issue with juuntoli i mean I think there's a lot to that as well. I mean, the, the sporting director has to work with the coach. He's also working for De Laurentiis, who, again, I, I don't have a problem with De Laurentiis necessarily, except that he's ultimately the guy that makes the decisions. And, you know, we don't know. Maybe Juntoli is bringing forward players like Reguilon to play at left back. And, and De Laurentiis is saying, well, I just spent 80 million, 70 million on Oseman, yeah. So I'm not going to spend another 25. We don't, We. I feel like we just don't have enough information to judge Juntholi. There's
0: absolutely no way fans could. Find that information out. We'll never know that
1: exactly. So I think it yeah. seems like kind of uh, a fun thing to say. I guess uh, we need to fire Juntoli We need to fire. Gattu, yeah. We need to fire Delorentis, Needs to sell the club. <laughs> I mean, um, and, and the other thing too is for anyone that thinks we need to overhaul this club, which I, I would probably consider myself amongst that crowd. We can't expect that to happen overnight. Not in the current. No, absolutely not right so i mean the the counter argument that people always say is that i always defend Gatuzo saying well we have all these injuries we've nine players out seven players out we're we're losing these games because guys are so tired and the best counter argument i think we can make for that is well we didn't rotate our our players enough when they were healthy you know why couldn't we play Rachmani against some of these lower lower table teams and you know maybe we don't know but maybe that would have protected Manolas or or whatever yeah. right and same thing with you know we are picking up a lot of muscular injuries lately so that I think that is something that is on on Gattuso and Ben said the same thing he, he always says that on Twitter we had Ben on last time from Australia and you know there it's a tough one with Gattuso there's there's things he's done well but you know we'll have to we'll have to wait and see how this one plays out. Um, getting back to the match the first half wasn't terribly eventful I think Uh, we started out doing okay we didn't really create anything but we were defending reasonably well like I thought our our back line and and you were a defender so I mean I'm curious to know your thoughts on on how we defended
0: I thought honestly I thought the best players in that half and and I shot myself in the foot because I tweeted about it and it was like (laughs) almost immediately as soon as I tweeted about it he made a mistake but I thought Bakayoko was amongst one of our better Mm -hmm. players in that half finally looked like an actual footballer and the wing backs were great in the yeah. first half, I thought. I thought Rui was doing a great job. He was he was covering his his area and he he saw that Elmas was struggling a lot. So he really had a he kinda had to do a double yeah. he had like a double job there to do and he and he really did well. And DiLorenzo, I thought he it was the best that he looked since I don't he can't even remember the last time he looked that that good. He's yeah. been really poor lately. So mm-hmm. With, with the wingbacks, I thought they were fine. Even the center backs too. Romani looks like he finally has come to fruition with us. That game against Juve, obviously, I, mm-hmm. if you have a game like that against Juve, you you have to have your confidence has to be on some sort of a yeah, Mount yeah. Everest at this point, yeah. you know. So then, obviously, it all came crashing down in the second half and inexplicably, honestly.
1: Yeah, before we get to that, uh, I guess the one highlight from the first half was Gasparini getting a red card. Um, oh, I think that was that saved a lot of us from smashing our TVs and our computers because I could just picture him with his stupid grin and maybe even dancing on the sideline after that Luis Muriel goal. So thankfully, he wasn't there to do that.
0: I, I, I have such a I don't know, I respect him as a coach. But as a person, as a man, I, I can't. I don't know. It, just the sight of him, it...
1: <laughs> you're not alone in I that. <laughs> <I think laughs> a lot of people feel that way. Uh, I mean, he's obviously doing great things with this Atalanta side uh, on the field. But yeah, mm-hmm. the, his look and and his comments he makes in the media—it's frustrating. Uh, so you mentioned the second half. So let's go through the goals. The first goal was scored by uh, Duvan Zapata and across from Luis Muriel. It looked like, and again, being being a defender, I'm curious to know your takes because it looked like somehow we got mixed up there, and, and Mario Rui ended up marking Zapata, and I mean, he's going to lose that battle in the air every time. Um, how does something like that happen?
0: Well, I I think you could tell even just from the first half, every corner that Atalanta had, Duvan was going straight for Rui, and yeah. but we were we were dealing with it well by doubling him for whatever reason, I don't know, maybe maybe Gospadini told them that at halftime to like shift in the box a bit yeah. to, to confuse and for some reason we got them on a one-on-one, Duvon mm-hmm. against Rui, and of course, you're never going to beat Duvon in the air if you're 5 foot 7 whatever he is, I don't know yeah. what yeah. Rui is. So, I mean, that that just goes down to strength
1: to be honest and I'm not sure if if you went back and looked at it but when I did it looked like our man marking was poor for any everyone that was back there we had a couple of players kind of watching Muriel play the cross I I think it was uh, I guess it would have been Di Lorenzo that was that was marking him Mm -hmm. but Fabian and Politano were back there and I think their man was Raymond Freuler, who seemed wide open at the top of the box. We had Elmas, you know, looking like he was in the wrong position. There was there looked to me like there was just a lot of a lot of poor defending. I don't know, Maximovich, if he's in the right place or not. You know, the ball gets past him. You would think you would want him to be marking Zapata. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And honestly, I think it comes down to a lack of communication as well. Yeah. It's almost like a a certain distrust in your in your teammates at that point. You know, yeah. if I was Rui there, I would say, "Oh, you know, come help, help! Someone's got to yeah. help." And you know, you got to, and you got to just anticipate something like that happening because I mean, Muriel is one of those shifty players where he doesn't stay in the middle all the time. He's not like a even Duvan does that, honestly, some, every once in a while. But just in this certain scenario, it just so happened that Muriel Muriel uh, shifted out wide and put it across, and <laughs> there's the goal. And yeah. At that point, you can't really point fingers at any certain person. It's just a team effort there that was lacking.
1: Yeah, I think that was an issue on a couple of our goals. We'll get to some of the other ones. But I, I even had that as as one of my keys to the match in, in the preview for this game that – we needed to have better communication at the back. And and that was largely because of the goals we conceded, the two Piscina goals we conceded the last time we played Atalanta. And another one of my keys to the match, which, again, we'll get to in some of the other goals, was was that we needed to pick up the late run. Um, And, again, it was because both of those Piscina goals happened where Atalanta sort of played – they like to play the ball in and out of the box, quick passes, and then send the runner a bit later. And if you guys are – if you're not communicating to each other and if – a midfielder's not following the run. It, it seems like often the midfielder is expecting the defender to pick up the run and the defenders expecting the midfielder to follow the run. And when yeah. neither when they're not on the same page because they're not communicating, a player gets through. So yeah, I, I agree with you there on communication at the back. We did level the score on on a gorgeous goal, two gorgeous plays, really polyton yeah. with a beautiful crossed into the box and then Zielinski with a next to impossible volley to hit the ball that well coming over the top like that and also to put enough accuracy on it to find the back of the goal because he could hit it sweetly straight at the keeper right I mean so beautiful goal Um, but what concerns me again and just off the top of my head I feel like we haven't scored a goal that wasn't the result of just a brilliant individual effort maybe since the Fiorentina game where we scored six
0: Absolutely.
1: Right. So I don't think too many Napoli fans felt that much relief when we scored because it wasn't the type of goal where we we worked the ball around, sustained a little possession and, you know, had some some good tactical place to create the chance and and then finish. It was just this moment of brilliance from two players. So I don't know. I'm curious to know if you agree with that or, or what do you think?
0: I absolutely 100% agree with you there. It's like, it seems that every goal we've been scoring since that Fiorentina match, that Fiorentina match before then, we actually had a very good string of results. Mm -hmm. I think only that one game against Spezia where we had lost, but even then we played a great game. It was just for whatever reason in the second half just completely capitulated and we lost that game. But it seemed like we were a free-flowing attack. And then ever since then, also, with this goal, this insanely beautiful goal by Zielinski, it just seems like we can only score off of individual brilliance by Politano, Zielinski, or or Insigne.
1: Yeah, Lozano you know?
0: sometimes. Or it, Lozano, of course. And it's just, I don't think, I can't remember the last goal where we actually looked like a team attacking yeah. all at once. I hate to bring it up, but like, you know, the last time we really saw it was maybe the last the, the first six months of Ancelotti, last few months of Sadi, where we actually worked as a team up the yeah. field and didn't rely on an individual to score for us. You know?
1: Yeah, well, and I think that's why we see so many shouts for Sadi, because we we missed that style. Obviously, it was beautiful to mm-hmm. watch. Um, whether Sadi is the right person to come back given the circumstances given the players we still have on this Absolutely team <laughs> yeah i i tend to agree i don't think that just bringing Sadi back with this same squad uh, unless you're going to bring back a young jorginho and Hamsik and those guys <laughs> alan uh it's not I don't happening it's going to automatically <laughs> return we can we can talk about that but yeah the midfield is a huge problem and uh, Carmine from uh, the Napoli Club Toronto and uh, the Philly del Vesuvio podcast posted a hilarious uh, video that he took of his, uh, I guess, PlayStation or FIFA or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I saw that. Yeah, yeah. that was strategy. great. Uh, that was I actually thought, I thought I went, there was a small part in the middle where the midfielders were passing the ball around pretty quickly in his video. I thought, no, I was
0: like, I was like, this is not us. <laughs> <That's> not, us. <laughs> yeah.
1: and, definitely and that's not
0: us. You cannot see
1: Bakayoko doing those passes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And they're not that close to each other either. They're usually run nope. away from each other, which is a big problem. And I talked about that on my last uh, regular episode that a big, the big issue is that we don't seem to have a midfield anymore when when a defender gets the ball, because we love playing out the back, or if if a Fabian or a Bakayoko comes back to retrieve the ball, they look up and and those two other midfielders are sprinting down the field. They're they're nowhere to be found. So the natural place yep. to play is to go to the wing because then our our fullbacks or wingbacks, however you want to describe them, they compensate and, and they make those runs. Then they get the ball and they have nowhere to go. They either play it into the corner uh, and hope that usually on the right side if whether it's Lozano or Politano can make a run or cut in or, or win a corner, or they have to go back because the midfielders are still nowhere to be found. And and that's been a huge, a huge issue that I think that's what makes a lot of us so nervous that there doesn't seem to be a solution to that any you know in the foreseeable no,
0: future. there's no evidence of even a little bit of a solution either. Yeah. He's how many times have has he tried to put bakayoko in different roles in the midfield and it just doesn't seem to work and i hate picking on him all the time but in my opinion he's the first and only gatuzo signing yep really i mean every other signing that's happened under him it's either been from the club or players that were individually picked up by ancelotti before him yep you know that that they were already too far in negotiations to just completely break it down yeah, Like Rachmani, like Petania, like those types of guys, you know? Uh, even Deme and Labotka. So really, I have to blame Bakayoko and Gattuso Yeah. because that's his guy. It seems everywhere he goes, he wants to have him with him after his stint at Milan.
1: You know, I think even Gatuzo recognizes that he's probably not the right guy for the job, but with Deme injured, we don't really have a choice. I mean, no, I was working on my preview for the Granada game and it's like... Pick your poison and do you start Bakayoko or do you start Lavotka, right? Like, neither yeah. offers a whole lot, definitely not in the attack. And, and right now, I mean, that's maybe that's a good segue. Um, well, actually, we'll get to the, the third goal, even the second goal. It's a good segue Tatalanta's second and third goals. Uh, speaking of Bakayoko, definitely on the second goal, actually. So, uh, you know, this was the one where Muriel runs straight across the top of the box. Akiyoko sticks his leg in <laughs> which was I mean a guy that size should be running shoulder to shoulder with Mudy there It's not like he was getting outpaced. It just looked like any no. talked about in past episodes just this lazy jog that he does. And I know guys have been playing a lot lately so they're I'm sure they're not at 100% fitness right now. Um but that ultimately leads leads to the the square ball and goes in finishing at the back post. So We've beat up on Bakayoko quite a bit. I mean, you can add to that if you like, but you also made a great point on your video with Gio about whether we should be putting any blame on De Lorenzo.
0: I saw that replay about two, three, four times. Mm-hmm. And every single time I see Gozan start his run from the midfield, like yep. all the way back in the midfield, when De Lorenzo was already, the whole defense was already pinned in the box, really. Yeah. Yeah. So I, to be honest with you, I think that's mostly on the right winger. Yeah. To pick up Gozins or at least communicate to Di Lorenzo. Hey, you know, Gozins is coming in. Yep. Because anyone that watches Atalanta knows that the wingbacks are the game plan for them. Gozins and Hatabor or Mala in this game, they're the game plan. If you if you stop the wingbacks, they don't have a game. They don't really they 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 suffer a lot. So Gattuso had to be mindful of that and to not ingrain it in politano's head or 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 who i don't remember who was playing right back right wing in the second half because i think politano got injured didn't he
1: Uh no, he fought through it so politano he fought through, pretty, yeah. he didn't track so- back again it goes back to what we were saying about communication and about picking up that late run i watched it again as well and it looked like fabian could have picked up the run or could have mm-hmm. let somebody know because he was jogging back and didn't seem to say anything. He's
0: another jogger. He's another, <laughs> yeah, another jogger. jogger. You know? Exactly,
1: so. right? Um, he's definitely not gonna catch up to anyone. So at least he could have, you know, let somebody know that goes was making making the run. It's easy to to look at that. And and that's why I hate when when people post these these still frames.
0: Um, I was just about to say that. Literally just about to say <laughs> that. The still yeah, frame.
1: Because, I mean you could you could freeze a frame to tell whatever story you want. You, yeah, exactly. You know, everything that played out before, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah i mean i i saw on twitter I and mean, i follow a lot of italian kids yeah and they all bash on di lorenzo all the time it's just it seems like a, it, it's like it's like with me and, and and bakayoko where most of the time i'm tweeting negatively about napoli it's usually about him and <laughs> i'm a victim of that as well i i'm i'm pretty negative sometimes and i guess i let my fandom get to my head every once in a while i, I have to be better at that
1: you might fall but, into the uh, Sansona cokehead category.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you, you with Francesco. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But that's what I'm saying. I don't understand how someone who watches the game frequently, as frequently as as Napoli fans do, especially yeah. because we're, what are we, 180 minutes a week we watch a football yeah. at least. And how can you possibly think that a still frame image tells the whole story of, a, of that singular play? Yeah. How could you how could you pin a goal on somebody off of a still frame image? It's impossible in this game. In soccer it doesn't work like that.
1: Yeah, and you know we'll we'll talk about the fourth goal in a bit. We'll get to that, but I think that's another one where you can say the same thing. But and I always say this whenever I I do my reviews, I rewind half a minute or a minute to see what happened before cuz there's always something before the goal is one thing and maybe people mess up. But there's always something that happened before that led to that. Mm-hmm. It was the same thing we saw uh again going back to the the Coppa Italia where on the, the goal that Politano conceded possession. I mean, yeah, you can you can hate on on how we defended on the counter and Lobotka being slow and whatnot, but it started with Politano not not playing the ball out to Di Lorenzo, so Di Lorenzo's out of the play not picking mm-hmm. up Fabian's run, which I think he didn't have a, a passing lane there. So I'll, I'll let him off the hook for that one. But in any event, Fabian's out of the play, not playing in the cross. So that took out Insignia, Osiman, and, and I think Zielinski or whoever else was, was on the field at that point. There's nothing wrong with cutting in from the wing to strong foot. I mean, we've seen that time and time again. He scored some beautiful goals doing that. But you can't give up possession in that part of the park with that. No, absolutely that not. The team, right? So there's always something mm-hmm. that happened before in the buildup, In the third goal, again, Bakayoko, um, you know, a weak pass back intended for Rachmani. It happens, I guess it happens a little too often for us because we seem to hurt ourselves more than our opponents do sometimes. And then I think you you just have to give Luis Muriel credit for the finish. I mean,
0: oh yeah, absolutely. I, I can't, I see, so, I saw some people saying, oh, Romani has to do better there, but honestly, how many defenders could go 1v1 with yeah. him like that in open field. It seemed like they were on an island together, just 1v1ing.
1: You know yeah.
0: how yeah. how many defenders are actually going to stop him there? A guy like Muriel. At some point you just have to bow, tip your hat over and say, you know, well done, Chapeau.
1: Yeah. And and I mean again as a defender, you would know that he he did play him right in the sense that he pushed him out wide onto his weaker foot. I mean, the guy just blasted a rocket. I mean, the best keeper in the world is not going to stop that shot. So, I I think you just got to tip your hat to him on on that goal. I mean, the guy's on fire this season.
0: I saw a few Napoli fans hating on Meret for the goal, too. You know that? Like, I I, I don't, you can't win. You just can't win. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, that's the thing, whether it's uh, Lozano and Politano or Meret and Ospina, when if someone has a strong opinion about one or the other, I feel really? like they look for reasons to to shit on the other guy, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. How you can You're put that? You on. got it right on. You spot on. Yeah, spot on.
1: You can't fault him for that. It's one of those for me. Even in in the previous match, where if he makes the save, it's it's just a fantastic save, and he builds this out exactly. But you don't you don't fault him if it goes in because it was just no. a quality shot. Um, We got a bit lucky, obviously, on on our second goal, probably the only way we were going to score a second goal in this match. the only one comment I have on this is that, I mean, especially when you're not taking a lot of shots, one thing that did seem to be working was crossing the ball. Sometimes you just have to put the ball into dangerous places, right? And good things happen. If you're not doing that, if you're not taking shots, well, yeah, you're not going to get results. So a little bit fortunate, but it gave us a little bit of hope at least. And then the fourth goal, I think we might have different opinions on this one, so I'll, I'll let you go first, because uh, the point that you made with Geo is that it's a it's a cardinal sin, it's a fireable offense for any coach to substitute two defenders on a corner kick on you know against us. You want to walk me through that a little bit? Well, yeah,
0: I genuinely have never seen. I I've seen it happen. Yeah, that same sort of substitution. Almost every single time I've seen it happen, it's always ended up in a goal. Yeah, when you when you bring defenders in, especially at that point of the game when you're chasing the game,
1: mm-hmm.
0: as a defender coming into that game, you 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 almost have no. There's like no way you're gonna play a good game. It, it's just it's almost impossible. Even my me and my teammates in Italy, we we even talk about it sometimes. Like when when the coach would put us in, like in the 80th minute, 75th minute. It's like is we didn't want to even go in. It, yeah. as as like a wing back. It, it was almost like we didn't even want to go play because it's like at that point it's so hectic there, there's so much going on it, it's yeah, almost impossible cool. to play like your game yeah. you know
1: i think definitely it was poor timing i'd like to think you know like i, I if you're gonna make that change make it when the ball goes up for a throw in. right don't don't yeah. do that a corner kick absolutely uh, so I, I definitely fault gatuzo for that but I, I do think there are legitimate reasons for making that change the the two that I would say are I think he was for in both cases for for the two players that came off Maximovich and Mario Rui I think that was to rest them a little bit because gatuzo wants to start them against Granada on Thursday um, I'm expecting the back four to be Kulibali and Maximovich even though we all want Rachmani to play I think we know how Gattuso is and i mean i'd be more surprised if rakmani started with kulibali than maksimovic and then i don't think he's going to start gulam especially because we need to to score goals so I, I think one reason is okay let me rest these guys for 15 20 minutes so that they've got a little bit more in the tank uh, for the europa league and then the other reason i can think of is that it's also because kulibali and gulam have been out for a little while so let's let's get them a couple minutes to shake off some rust ahead of that game but yeah don't you don't need to do that on
0: a corner no that, that's honestly I don't fault the substitution per se I don't fault Rui coming out for Gulam in that situation when the game was I mean may, you can make an argument that there was no need for Koulibaly to come in yeah because the center as a center back I don't really feel like there's a there's a need
1: mm-hmm.
0: per se to, to sub out a center back in a game unless there's injury you know but I could see what you're saying when you're when you're talking about how maybe he wanted them to rest a few minutes, a few extra minutes in preparation for the Granada game. Yeah. I can understand that. But I you can't wait for the next play. Like, yeah, you know but that's what I mean. What I mean. You know what I'm <laughs> trying to say yeah, and yeah. I completely agree with you about that. And I I see I I feel like we're we're on the same page with with that substitution and the goal that
1: we conceded. Yeah, so and that's so a couple things. Um, you know, a lot of people felt like what's this guy doing making two defensive changes when we need to score goals? I I think that just has to do with limited options on the bench. We know he absolutely doesn't want to play the prima beta player, so he's changing what he can. I mean, he has substitutions, he's using them. Um, Although, for some reason, I don't know if you noticed this, and I think I get why he's done it. The circumstance kind of dictates, but we made our first change, I think, in the 55th minute, um, which was right after we went down a goal, which is why we made that change. But what Gattuso's been doing is he's been using. He hasn't been making enough changes. He's he's wasting a substitution because you can only stop play three times, even though you have five substitutions. Yeah. You can only stop play three times. So by the time we made, he made one change, then he brought two guys on, and then he brought one guy on. Well, now you can't make your fifth substitution because you used yep. all your stoppages. So I don't know what's going on there. I mean, I would think just make a change at the half because that doesn't count as a stoppage in play. It's already a stoppage. But that aside, it just so happens that the goal is scored and the two guys that came on at least appeared to be at fault. I tend to disagree and, and I'll, I'll let you know what I think and then you can give me your thoughts. And this is another one where I, I saw someone post a still frame and kind of circle Koulibaly and Gulam and say, look, they're not marking anyone. It was, I believe it was Victor Osman that lost the header to Jim City who got the the flick on. And that, mm-hmm. I think, threw Koulibaly off because he, he was reading the ball to to head that out. Um, and then that little flick changed direction on him. And then, I don't know if you went back and saw this one as well, but again, Fabian's in the area and Romero actually puts his arm on, on Fabian's shoulder and kind of like pushes off him. Not I'm not suggesting it was a foul, but to me, Fabian should be following that run again. And I feel like, again, it was a situation where Fabian's expecting maybe Gulam or whoever's in the box to pick it up. And no one does. And and Romero's all by himself in front of the goal and he's not going to miss from there.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I can see I can see what you're saying. I just I just feel like as Koulibaly, as the pinnacle of what Napoli is right now, he's Mm -hmm. he's the guy, you know, whether you come in in the 75th minute or you're starting the game, I feel like he should have taken a bit more command there and not staying in a space. More so than getting on the first guy because Atalanta right. usually, if you saw the way they 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 do their, their corner kicks, it's like they almost always go for the front post. Yeah. They go, they, they almost they aim it towards the front post where it actually came in, and was missed the header. Yeah, uh, I don't remember whether he he ended up flicking it on or he, or his mark or. I think it was it Jim on. City that that got. Yeah. It so. I just I, so that I was my opinion. Saying, and then like I saw I, want... I, then I saw Gulam on the back post and just free. I saw them both free. I can't fathom that. I don't know.
1: So I, yeah, I take your point. I mean, what you want is you want Kulibali defending Jim City there rather than no one. Yeah, exactly. Uh, because he's far more likely to win that header than again Victor's a, a big body, but he's he's still young. He's not that strong. That's something he definitely has to work on uh, in the off season. Speaking of Osimen, on top of everything we we. Have this tough loss we lose him at the end of the match he hit his head on the ground passed out seems like the yeah, medics were pretty quick, quick to react which was good to see it was good to see again the atalanta players credit to them um this twice in in a couple of games now where they've seen the napoli player going down and immediately call for the medics to come out so uh the news today was that the tests seem to be coming back negative which is good news but chances are he's almost certainly going to miss the game on thursday i mean from the um, the sound of things he wants to come back, obviously he's, he's young, he's uh, anxious to play, but uh, they need to be uh, very careful with head injuries. So he's more than likely not going to be in the squad for the Granada match. Um, but I, I want to get your thoughts just on his play since he got back, because I think that he's another player that people have been just way too hard on. And I keep seeing people say, Oh, we spent 70 million on him or whatever and expecting results. And, and, Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm curious to know your thoughts. Are, are people being just too hard on Osimhen right now?
0: Absolutely. 100% way too hard on him. This is a kid that never really played in a top flight league. I, I understand France people and even Germany, but on Wolfsburg, he never really got enough time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But France, it's a completely different soccer. Mm -hmm. completely different the the defensive aspect in france it's like if you watch the goals that he scored it's as though it's as if like he was just left alone (laughs) to score them so i mean it's a completely different game and i really feel like guys under 25 or even even younger like him especially him he's only 21 right at 21 22 a guy like that you have to give him at least a year to get used to the league Mm -hmm. albeit this year has been very tough on him covid and injuries related yeah. i mean how much more could you possibly ask of the kid you yeah. know and he's also got a lot a long way to go physically as well he's way too too frail at the moment i feel like he is almost a, a carbon copy of the cavani transfer now cavani his first year he he started off with a bang Don't Get me mm-hmm. wrong but he was already experienced in the league we, right. we forget about that yeah um osie now you know people bring up this price tag a lot 70 million and i get it i understand a club like napoli when they spend that much money you expect results i mean any club expects sure. results with that transfer fee but the way transfer f- fees have inflated it's almost like you're paying for a potential now you're not even paying for a finished product anymore so yeah. I think that's what people have to see from that perspective or try to see it from that perspective is we are paying for his possible output than the output that he's going to put in right now.
1: And the other thing is, I mean, two things that people always leave out when they bring up the, the cash thing. First of all, it's not like we paid $70 million in cash. We, we no. paid $50 million in cash, which is still, don't get me wrong, still a big price tag for us. And that that still would have been a record signing for us. Mm-hmm. But it was $20 million in players that we weren't using uh, our third string keeper and some Prima Veda players who um, I don't think our Prima is that strong, that that may have yeah. been in itself a good deal. But so that's one thing. And then the other thing I, I keep saying is that the last couple months, basically since Osman came back, we've been using him like he's Petanya and expecting him to hold up play. And he's yeah. not as strong as petania is. And, the guy gets no support. (laughs) There's nobody around. Absolutely.
0: Zero support.
1: Right. So it's, it's really harsh. I think to, to criticize this guy for, for not scoring when we're not putting him anywhere near in a position to score. And whenever you see a striker, whether it's him or, or Ibrahimovic or or whoever having to drop really deep just to get the ball. I mean, that's a a pretty obvious sign that he's not getting proper service.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, it, Again, I, I hate to use the same analogies, but it's as almost as if he's on an island up there. Yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no support for him. Even when Insignia is on the pitch, it seems as though Insignia and him are, are are so far apart from each other. It, yeah. there, there's no cohesion with the attack and at him. So as a striker, especially in the Serie A, where you're not, you can't just smack a ball forward and expect him to run on and score yeah. in the Serie A. It's never going to happen. Not even against the worst teams. Yeah. And said, "Yeah, that will never happen so you have to support the kid you have to support especially a, a guy like him coming from a weaker league coming into one of the strongest leagues arguably the strongest league in the world this year mm-hmm. and us as fans have to recognize that this kid he's trying his best Th- those few months before he got injured he was playing great despite not having all the you know glamorous record for us only scoring two goals but he was playing great in sense that he was playing for the team. He was 100% first minute to 90th minute, just non-stop.
1: Yeah, we saw that in the opening game against Padma, right? He didn't yeah. start that game, but he came on and, and the game completely opened up. And that's why even people that, that just look at stats were, were praising his, his influence on the game because he made everybody around him better just with the space he created. And I think he's really hurting with Dries Mertens not being around. I think... I yeah. think Mertens playing behind him was such a, a good combination. Mertens has that work rate that he's he's coming back to help defend, but he's sprinting back up there, you know, to to join in the attack and support him. And I, I don't think, as much as I like Zielinski, he's been really hot and cold. Uh, you know, we don't all That's like him. him. That's him. That's his
0: problem. Yeah. Right?
1: And he's not as good at, as finishing. He's not a, a, a number nine or a, a true 10, at least as far as finishing goes. Um, so again, I think I think Osman's not just suffering because of the time that he's been off, but it's also the players around him. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about is the post-match, the Silencio stampa. Um, you know, we didn't have a press conference, and and that again, I mean, typical De Delorti's move, right? It, actually, I, if I'm not mistaken, he did the same thing last season with Ancelotti because I remember again. Elmas got fined for speaking to the media when when there was this this media ban ironically it's it's going to be stopped for a game because you're required to do press conferences for, yep, yep. for Europa League so we will see Gattuso and a player we'll see who it is do the press conference
0: even more ironically when the, the Silencio Stampa stopped last season with Angelotti he had Meret alongside him <laughs> tomorrow we're going to see or yeah, tomorrow we're gonna to see Gattuso with Medet alongside. Oh, is
1: that confirmed? I wasn't yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I,
0: I saw a tweet today. So I,
1: <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, I mean it's yeah. <laughs> a little bit yeah. of uh, maybe the writing is on the wall there. I don't know, but yeah, yeah. We'll we'll have to see. I mean, obviously that fueled a lot of the rumors again about Gattuso and whether he lasts. And I mean, I feel like after every game that we lose, the you know the reports in the media are you know this is his last game. If he doesn't deliver, then that's it. So we'll have to wait and see what happens there. But I, I think we'll wrap it up there. Uh, I'm really grateful, Daniel, for you coming on the pod. It's, it's been a blast talking to you. And I, I love talking to someone that's played the game. Any last thoughts before I let you go?
0: No, honestly, I just want to say thank you so much for having me on. And uh, I just really hope we can get this situation back to some sort of normalcy. Because yeah. it kills me seeing this team play the way it has. And especially not getting results.
1: I can't remember a time when an entire fan base was like in depression. <laughs> it really, yeah. I mean, we need some positivity, hopefully with some of these players coming back. I don't, Merton's trained with the squad today and he did the full training. So that's a good sign. I'm not sure I want him to start on Thursday. We'll see what happens. Uh, we don't really have another striker really, but that, I mean, you know, guys are starting to get healthy again. Hopefully we can start stringing together a couple of wins. It doesn't feel like any game, is, is a sure thing anymore, but we do have a bit of a, I guess, an easier stretch if you can call it that with uh, Benevento and then I believe it's Sassuolo and Bologna next. Um, and, and there is a little bit of a, break. I think there's an international break coming up as well, which we could use probably more than anyone. So hopefully we start getting some guys back uh, healthy and, and start getting some results. Regardless of who the coach is at this point. Um, So we'll we'll leave it there. Uh, We'll be back with another, our regular episode. We'll post a day or two after this one. And uh, everyone enjoy the match against Granada on Thursday. We'll talk to you again soon. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli, San Pedro.
0: Podcast Network.